Hi there everyone, and welcome back to Hits 21, where me, Rob, me, Andy, and me, Livy, all look back at every single UK number one of the 21st century from January 2000 right through to the present day. If you want to get in touch with us, you can, and you can find us over on Twitter. We are at Hits21UK. That is at Hits21UK. And you can email us too. Just send it on over to Hits21Podcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much for joining us again. Just like our recent previous episodes, we'll be looking back at some number one singles from the year 2002. This time we'll be covering the period from the 8th of December through to the 22nd of December. So we're getting so, so close to that all-important Christmas number one. Last week's poll winner, it, it ran away with it, really. It was Dirty, or Dirty, by Christina Aguilera and Redman. Barely any competition. It was not tight uh, like the previous weeks had been. Um, so... On to this week's episode, and as always, we're going to give you some news headlines from around the time that the two songs we're covering this week were number one in the UK. Joe Strummer, frontman and lyricist in The Clash and one of the figureheads of the UK punk movement, dies aged just 50. He was found dead at his home in Somerset by his wife, having just returned from walking the family dog. Uh, an autopsy revealed that he sadly died of a heart attack. Meanwhile, Sherry Blair publicly apologises after buying two flats in Bristol with the help of convicted Australian conman Peter Foster, who negotiated a discount for Blair. She said she had no knowledge that Foster had ever been to prison. A poll of over 30,000 people run by the BBC revealed that 61% were not convinced by the apology. Meanwhile in the US, President George W. Bush announces a smallpox vaccination for military personnel and for civilian healthcare and emergency workers in order to protect against bioterrorism risks. Eight days later, Bush himself received the vaccine. The films to hit the top of the UK box office during this period were as follows. Um, Die Another Day is still at the top of the UK box office, so not much to report on that front. However, before the end of the year, The Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers begins a four-week reign at the top, grossing £30.6 in the UK alone, and that stays at number one through to the start of 2003. Um, for a long, long time, that was my favourite of the three, like, three films. That was, like, my first... Oh, yeah, which one of the three should I watch? Oh, yeah, this one. No idea why. Um, think it might be because it's the first one to have a big, cool battle set piece. And, like, you know, you're ten years old and you're like, Oh, I want to see action. And it's also about 20 minutes shorter than Return of the King, which means that, like when you're up at like 10 o'clock at night and you don't want to be up too late so you put on the one that's like 2 hours and 55 minutes as opposed to 3 hours and 15 <laughs> minutes <laughs> 2 hours is probably my least favourite of the 3 but when I say that just to be clear that's like I would rate 2 hours like a, a 2 towers like a 9.8 out of 10 and yeah. the other 2 would be like a 9.9 .9 and a 10 so you know it's a very high bar to say it's the weakest Lord of the Rings film the mm, gulf between agreed. them and the Hobbit films is a canyon so, yeah. <laughs> and I've not seen any of them. Ooh. That is outrageous, Lizzie. That is outrageous. Well, we know what we're doing this Christmas, Lizzie. 
Oh, I'm driving. <laughs> Meanwhile, Diana Ross is arrested for driving under the influence in Arizona. A witness reported seeing a white Honda Accord driving erratically in the wrong lane. When Diana was asked to perform a sobriety test by standing on one leg, she fell over. She was also unable to recite the alphabet, even though they would have accepted Tell Me What You Think Of Me. Diana was eventually <laughs> jailed for two days after admitting the offence and completed her sentence in bursts of six to eight hours. Completed her sentence in bursts? Normal yeah. people aren't allowed to do that. No, That's, a lot wow. of people were yeah. not happy. Yeah, when I was doing the research, like... Apparently what happened was she did it in bursts of six to eight hours. She was allowed to come and go as she pleased. And then the public, and then people found out <laughs> about this and were like, um, hang on a minute. And then she was ordered by a judge to serve 48 consecutive hours, but it eventually just got dropped if because I, she'd already completed the 48 hours. If I can make an obvious possible point, if you can come and go freely, is it prison? <laughs> it's not yeah. really prison, surely, if you can just it come is. and go. That's like yeah. any other building. I can come and go anywhere. Prison, the point of prison is that you you can't leave. Wow. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> the benefits of being Diana Ross, I guess. I know. Yeah. Meanwhile, back in the UK, David Snedden wins the first series of Fame Academy. Meanwhile, on BBC Two, CBBC broadcasts the first episode of kids' adventure game show Raven. The series would run for eight years until 2010. And on Channel 5, Korean-Japanese anime series Beyblade airs on terrestrial television for the first time. Oh, wow. All three of those were big things for me. I can't believe Raven was going until 2010, by the way. Yeah, I can't believe that either. I think I stopped watching in, like, 2005. (laughs) Maybe a little bit later than that. (laughs) As for Fame Academy, though, I was was really, really a big follower of Fame Academy, that first series. It was... I remember the final three. It was David Snedden along with Lamar... And Sinead. Um, yes. And da- David Snedden was put in like last minute as a filler contestant because someone else dropped out. And it wasn't at all believed that he would win. It was a really big surprise that he won. Um, but maybe more on him another time. Andy, how are the album charts looking right now? Well, Escapology by Robbie Williams is still dominating everything. Um, for the whole rest of 2002, that remains at the top. So I decided to take a leaf out of your book, Rob, and look at the things that it beat to number one, see what didn't get there. And I'm afraid I've come up short on that as well. Um, In the first week that we're covering this week, the highest new entry was Dive In by Darius, which entered at number six. Obviously, Colorblind was off that album. um, But that was the highest new entry in that week. And in the second week that we're covering... um, how about this? In the top 100, there were no new entries at all. Not even uh, one. Really? Yeah. yeah. Christmas time does it to everyone, I think. Yeah. yeah. And it's worth saying that almost every week that Escapology was at number one, the number two was One Love by Blue. So were it not for Robbie, Blue might have had a four, five, six week run at number one with One Love. It was a very big album in its own right. So just a quick shout out to Blue there. But um, no, it's a very, very quiet period as people are stocking up on their CD gifts for Christmas. The charts are a bit weird right now. So more on that next year. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, Lizzie, how are our transatlantic cousins preparing for the uh, the big day? Yeah, well, as I've already mentioned on a previous episode, Eminem's Lose Yourself stays at number one until February 2003. But 
we finally get to discuss it on this podcast in the next few minutes. So stay tuned for that. Yeah. I'm so excited. Um, also, in terms of albums, Jay-Z's reign at number one was brought to an end by Shania Twain, whose album Up stayed at number one until the second week of January in 2003. It eventually finished at number three on the 2003 year-end list and was certified 11 times platinum in the US, but it stalled at number four on the UK albums chart behind What Else? One Love by Blue. <laughs> I'm sure they were one place ahead last week, uh, last time as well. If only they got a number one at some point and we could talk about Blue. Oh, that's my Christmas yeah. wish. <laughs> if only. <laughs> Make my dreams come true. Let's see. Yeah. Oh, Fingers crossed. Yeah. <laughs> uh, right, okay. Thank you both very much. Uh, time to press on. And the first of the two songs we'll be discussing this week is this. Opportunity to seize everything you ever wanted in one moment. Did you capture it? Just let it slip. Yo. His palms are sweaty, knees weak, arms are heavy. There's vomit on his sweater already. Mom's spaghetti, he's nervous, but on the surface he looks calm and ready to drop palms. But he keeps on forgetting what he wrote down. The whole crowd goes so loud, he opens his mouth, but the words won't come out. He's choking how? Everybody's choking now. The clock's run out. Time's up, over, blow. Snap back to reality. Oh, there goes gravity. Oh, there goes rabbit. He choke. He's so mad, but he won't give up. Okay, this is Lose Yourself by Eminem, released as the lead single from the compilation album entitled 8 Mile, music from and inspired by the motion picture, Lose Yourself is Eminem's 10th single overall to be released in the UK. It is his 4th single to reach number 1 after The Real Slim Shady, Stan and Without Me all reached the summit. It is not the last time we'll be discussing Eminem on this podcast. Lose Yourself went straight in at number one as a brand new entry, knocking Daniel Bedingfield off the top of the charts. It stayed at number one for one week. In its first and only week atop the charts, it sold 91,000 copies, beating competition from Cheeky Song, Touch My Bum by the Cheeky Girls, which got to number two, Feel by Robbie Williams, which got to number four, 
and Holding On For You by Liberty X, which got to number five. So, as, as pleased as I am that Lose Yourself got to number one, I'm a bit sad that we don't get to discuss the cheeky song, <laughs> to be honest. Imagine, imagine <laughs> if you were doing that rundown, it's like, <laughs> cheeky song held off, Lose Yourself by Eminem. <laughs> God, a sliding doors moment in British pop. When it was knocked off the top of the charts, Lose Yourself dropped two places to number three. It then initially left the charts after 31 weeks, however, the song re-entered the charts in 2004, 2009, 2011, 2012, 2013 and 2014. As of today, Lose Yourself has spent a total of 52 weeks inside the top 100 and the song was declared four times platinum in the UK in April 2021. This was massive. Um, Andy, uh, Eminem, Lose Yourself. I mean, I've just reflected on that chart battle between the Cheeky song and this. That's sort of an early precursor to the Joe McKeldry Raise Against the Machine battle of 2009, I guess, really, isn't it? Where it's like authentic music versus <laughs> game show crap, basically. Well, we've, we've had yeah. Eminem and Bob the Builder in 2000. We have, yeah. What is it about Eminem and getting into these beefs with perfectly, yeah. perfectly nice, you know, novelty music? But, oh well. As it stands, we have to talk about Eminem and not the Cheeky Girls, but it's a very good one. Um, it's it's one of those really that we've seen a few different faces from Eminem, a few different sort of hats that he's worn, where we've had, you know, the previous one without me was a really kind of silly, bravado kind of song. We've had Real Slim Shady, which is a bit more of a kind of statement of intent. Um, and we've had Stan, which of course is very, very... Um, serious song and you know it really has a lot of depth to it this one kind of fits into a slightly different slot yet again um, and I will kind of admire Eminem for doing something a little bit different each time um, with this one we've talked about hype songs before and this is a hype song you know this is it's like spice up your life but for Eminem really where it's like you can imagine people sort of walking into a boxing ring with this as their intro music or, you know, walking out onto the football pitch or it just, yeah. It, obviously, that's what the film's all about with 8 Mile, that it's it's that kind of hype and that kind of stepping into the ring and seizing your moment. Um, so that comes across really, really strongly. But yeah, I think this is probably the most kind of angry, tense, most kind of exciting Eminem song that we've yet covered. And um, I really, really like it. I think the only thing I don't like about it is that it's sometimes it's just a little bit abrasive in the production. Sometimes that I do like that snappy little guitar that bam bam bam, but sometimes it's a bit high in the mix for me. Sometimes it dominates a little, um, so it's not completely perfect. But it's pretty damn close to perfect. I'm having to really look for things to criticise here. Um, and again, you would you would think that I would mark it down if you're not just for basically being all hype, but it manages to do that and still convey something that we can relate to that it still kind of acts as a sort of power up for the listener that it still kind of gives you that sense of yes yeah, your moment um and it, you feel like it's coming from quite a personal place from eminem as well that it's coming from a place of you know having to prove himself against a lot of other people um and above a lot of other people that you know he really has had to kind of earn his right to compete in this scene um and you, you can sense that this is coming from a very authentic place so it just kind of has everything, really. It really comes together very well. Um, 
it's one of those where I don't actually have a huge amount to say about it, but that's because there's very little to criticize. It's just re- a really, really good song. I think there's a lot of little musical elements thrown in there that really help as well. I, I always like listening to that extended intro because I think that just sets the atmosphere better than going straight in on the guitar. I think that piano intro really adds something to it. That little flicky guitar, as much as it is too high in the mix, it really does kind of keep the momentum going. There's some strings in there and some orchestral hits that, again, might be cheesy under other circumstances, but because Eminem's performance is selling the song and is really committing to this, it works. It all comes together really well. And this gets a big thumbs up from me. I really like it. Yeah, really, really good. Yeah, well, I mean, I agree with a lot of your points, Andy, although I would love to see the version of 8 Mile that has Spice Up Your Life in it. <laughs> but, see, <laughs> these are my reference that. points. This is my reference <laughs> point, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I think more for me, I kind of want to talk about this, like, not massively in-depth or anything, because I'm, I'm hardly an expert, but this feels like a bit of a watershed moment for Eminem. It, like, this sounds like... Maybe benefit of hindsight, but it sounds like an artist who is about to hit his breaking point. Like if we're talking around 2002, like during the filming of Eight Miles specifically, you know, he's kind of um, starting to experience, you know, drug addiction, which would affect him for several years after that point and would lead to pretty much the near, well, the collapse of his career to a point which he couldn't really sort of get back on track until much later on in the decade. It's just that at this point, this is like peak Eminem. And as much as he's kind of on the top and he's the the person that everyone beneath him looks up to, he's kind of having to sort of work through like injuries and emotional pain to like, maintain that position and so it's it's a lot like you you see this with wrestlers all the time like case in point someone like eddie guerrero or kurt angle and what happens to these people is just they get so massive like not just physically but also in terms of position and status that they have to work so much harder to actually maintain it and what happens is it well in the case of Kurt Angle, it almost ended up killing him. In the case of Eddie Guerrero, it did. He didn't, you know, he didn't make it to 40. So, and, and like this very nearly happened to Eminem in like 2007. Rob, you told me about this, how he very nearly overdosed. Yeah, yeah, very nearly. Yeah, and this is kind of the start of it. But, I mean, it just in isolation, the song itself is fantastic. Like, if not for Stan it would easily be his best song. I'm sure there are people out there listening who probably do think this is his best song, and I wouldn't disagree with them. It deserves to be up there. Like, not just the lyrics, which is what we always tend to, you know, applaud Eminem for, but the production in particular adds, like, a ton of weight and heft to, like, a lyrically hard-hitting song. Like, one of... One of our complaints about Eminem in the past, particularly with like um, Without Me in particular, is that the instrumentals can be a bit goofy. And as much as Eminem kind of sells it because of his lyrical strength, it's kind of, I don't know, it's like blowing a raspberry in your ear. But this is just like, it's serious. It's here to like grab your attention and keep hold of it. And it does. 
like you, Andy, I I love that intro because it kind of gives you the sense of, you know, the the cover for the soundtrack album where it's like night and there's a neon sign above, but it just kind of looks sort of grimy and wet and like this horrible sort of forgotten town and you're left to sort of roam through it hmm. and f- you've got to find your own way and it and it kind of leads into that you know that guitar and then and then the beat kicks in and all of these sort of layers just gradually add up and you know build and build and build and it it works so perfectly i do maybe slightly agree with you andy that there are points where it does get a little bit too big and too loud. It's like you could. I think this is just a symptom of the time, really, that a lot of songs from this time do sound so much louder because that was yeah. the way things were produced. So I don't really want to hold that against it too much. But it's a it's a minor complaint on a song that I think is just phenomenal and. I think it's fair to say it's Eminem's last great number one. Well, I think we'd all agree hmm. on that. Um, well, I wouldn't, really? but we'll get to that. Well, I think, I think okay. we'll get to that. He, ha- he has yeah. he has good number ones, but I don't know if I'd go as far as great as like all timer. Yeah, I, I, think, I would yeah. agree with Lizzie yeah. on that. Yeah, yeah, hmm. yeah. I think this is the last one where the consensus around it is like. Oh, this is you know like a big deal, like that sort of thing. Like, yeah, just, yeah, yeah. You know, cards on the table. I'm a really big fan of like Toy Soldiers, but yeah, I know that fine. other people are just sort of like, it's not the first song you exactly jump to in Eminem's catalog, is it? Um, yeah, and yeah. I think as well, just with hindsight, Eminem going serious is something that doesn't sustain itself for as long as. Eminem being a bit goofy. The the Eminem going serious thing that kind of happens with... Uh, I mean, he's always had, you know, the, the serious element to him, but this one, it's like, there's no punchline with this, with Lose Yourself, in the same way that there's no real punchline with, like, Toy Soldiers, and then a little bit further on, there's no punchline with songs like When I'm Gone, or Mockingbird, or songs like that, and so that... But then everything just kind of goes very quiet between like 2005 or the end of 2005, 2006, seven, eight, like, you know, he's, he features on a couple of tracks. Um, he winds up next to Akon, I think later down the line Mm -hmm. for us, but he doesn't come back with his own stuff, obviously until 2009. Um, but then he's back doing stuff like he just kind of settles out and does like generic, like, like rap pop stuff, like cracker bottle, and uh, we made you and songs like that that I don't think get to number one. Uh, love the way you really lie. Get to discuss. Uh, yeah, love the way you lie. That's kept off the top, I think, at some point. I mean, he has number ones again. Oh um, yeah. But the the serious Eminem period with albums like Recovery and um, Relapse and things like that are not amazing. Anyway, back to 2002 and Lose Yourself. Um, Whenever I listen to this, like, obviously, as well as hearing the song, I can also hear, very faintly, um, Eye of the Tiger by Survivor Mm. finally being allowed to retire after 20 years of being the international (laughs) fight song for the entire planet. Um, It feels like, yes, there you go. Finally, we can put you down now. And we can, you know, you've been holding the flag since, like, what, 1983, 1984? 
um, whenever Rocky 3 came out. And so we could just put you in a retirement home because now this song is here. And this will be the one, as you said, Andy, that gets played before sports teams come out. Yeah. And especially American. You know, Americans love this kind of music for sport and stuff to make everything like... It just feels like the, if any other song has been played in the TV coverage of the build-up to the Super Bowl, um, I'd like to know what song that was, other yeah. than the one that they always play. I mean, now that you mention it, it does have musical similarities to Eye of the Tiger. It does have that kind of plodding drone-style beat that just kind mm. of keeps driving throughout it's like like you're rocky running up those steps it it does have kind of similarities with the use of the guitar and the use of that rhythm that really keeps it going i wonder yeah. if that was an inspiration at all because they're they're they are very different songs but you can kind of see common dna there that is yeah. interesting that's an interesting point yeah yeah totally um first things first obviously eminem is like on point here like i think the first verse in this is probably his most famous I oh, wouldn't yeah. say it's his best, but I'd definitely say that Mom's Spaghetti is, like, the thing that people will jump to whenever you mention it. It's a Eminem. meme, really, isn't it? There's just yeah. something about that, that phrase. It's just it's such a serious song, and then to use that phrase, it just seems odd. <laughs> and doesn't, doesn't he run a restaurant now called Mom's Spaghetti? That oh, would surprise so. me. Yeah. Um, it, the other thing as well with Eminem dropping silly lines into serious songs is when he gets to the third verse of When I'm Gone... And he imagines his daughter coming to the crowd at a show in Sweden. And he goes, baby, we're in Sweden. How did you get to Sweden? (laughs) (laughs) He's just shouting it dead seriously. It's dead funny. Um, And then the second verse, the rhyme scheme, where he manages to get more out of the O sound than anyone I think I've ever heard before. Like, that's unbelievable. Unbelievable, like the the homie grows harder, he blows. It's all over these holes. It's all on the coast to coast shores. He's known as the gold trotter, lonely bro. And then it gets all the way through to um they moved on to the next small flows. He knows the host. It's all it just it keeps going on and on and on and on and on and it pushes tension to breaking point. It's genius. Um, I love the little like piano trills that come in every now and again, just to add some decoration while still. Uh, maintaining the tension and I think tension is where the genius of this song really lies Um, which is that Eminem manages to make battle rap sound like any other sport I think it understands that sport like when you really distill it down it's just 1v1 doesn't matter if it's boxing tennis, cricket, water polo lawn bowls like it's 1v1 whether that's one team versus another or one person versus another the lyrics and the music and the video all coalesce and contribute to this really sweaty and intense and grimy atmosphere that shares a lot with aesthetically with films like rocky and fight club and eventually after this million dollar baby uh, i think it does equate rap battles to boxing primarily in more ways than one but crucially not in a way that is glamorous or heroic I think this song is all about nerves and nausea and panic and the tiny, tiny margins between loss and victory and how those tiny margins cause like canyon-sized ruptures in your psychology and your mental health. You know, the it, it is just Homer Simpson going over the gorge where it's like if you miss that gorge by an inch, there's a huge chasm waiting for you to fall in. Um, the iambic pentameter and like unbalanced emphasis on each word in that first verse that's employed 
in the verses that makes it feel so uneasy. That guitar, like you mentioned, Andy's playing so many minors and flats to keep the, you know, the sort of like this feeling in your chest, just sort of like, you know, you feel quite het up and panicked about it. The song builds slowly, not too dissimilar to how Rage Against the Machine would build something to breaking point and let it all come crashing down later. And I think it really captures, especially with sports like boxing and tennis, how lonely sport can be at the highest level, especially when it comes to boxing and tennis. And I'd argue that tennis is the loneliest sport of all, because at least in boxing, every three minutes you get to go and talk to your coach and have a towel put round your head. Whereas with tennis, you can be out there for three and four hours. Like you can't access your family or your trainer. Um, and there's no teammates around to pick up the slack. And like, um, it's the same when it comes to battle rap, where it's like, if you drop a poor line, or a punchline doesn't hit right, like, once you lose the room, that's it. You never get it back in battle rap. It is... I, I mean, I spent my teen years watching a lot of Don't Flop on YouTube, and, man, like, when a room turns against someone in the ring, it's fucking horrible. And, like, I've had to turn the video off sometimes because you can see them fighting and just going through the lines that they've written down and they know it's not working and they have to just keep plugging away because they can't forfeit. And I, I think this is exactly what Lose Yourself understands. Because, like, Eminem, obviously, 8 Mile is, like, his life story, where he came up as a battle rapper. He was white, so nobody really gave him a shot in the rap scene. And he had to, like, you know, fight twice as hard within the scene. And he had to make sure that he was twice as good as everybody else. Um... And I think Lose Yourself really understands that, like, once your killer punchline is out of the way, you've got to have another one coming in an instant because you're only as good as, like, your next couplet, your next performance, your next punchline, your next round in boxing, you know, your next matches in tennis. Um, and I think that given where this, like you were saying, Lizzie, uh, where this lands in Eminem's discography, this is the sound of a guy who I think knows he's running out of punchlines and he's running out of time. Yeah. Like, in three years, he's made three massive albums, a movie soundtrack, a film, a TV series, the cartoon, uh, which I think was just called The Eminem Show or The Slim Shady Show or something like that. The, yeah. the guy has not stopped. It really happened overnight. Um, he was, you know, battle rapping for years. Suddenly he was found, and within a year, it was like recording contract, major album, Dr. Dre's like a big fan, etc., etc. And he's smart. And he knows that he hasn't stopped since, and he knows that this can't last forever. Um, I've talked about this before, but like you know, the level of fury, rage, comedy, skill, and speed that is needs to be sustained for a rapper to be successful is basically impossible once you're no longer like a young gun that everybody fancies. You know, like and especially in the '90s and early 2000s, like we're still pre-Chipmunk Soul here. You know, Common has only just released, like, Water for Chocolate. Like, you know, gangster mm. rap and hardcore hip-hop are still, like, ruling the airwaves commercially. We're, a, we're still a year away, I would say, from the balance beginning to shift away from gangster rap and more towards, like, more patient, artsy, conscious stuff. At least ruling the airwaves, anyway. That stuff's always around if you just look at, like, I don't know, Jungle Brothers, Tricor Quest, you know, any of the native tongues lot, basically. But, you know, Kanye West hasn't emerged yet. And he's like, I think he was someone who paved the way for a lot of more hmm, considered 
rappers to be you know they, they, it doesn't have to be all about fury to an excitement to maintain like commercial value it can be about other things too um yeah and so eminem is competing in a world of hip-hop that's still about youth and speed and the crucial thing i think that a lot of people kind of forget about eminem is that he's 30 at this point yeah he broke through when he was like 26 that's like six years later than most rappers break through you know, if you think, like, Ice Cube was, like, 18, 17 when Straight Outta Compton came out, and, like, you know, most young rappers who have, like, their first big major label album are normally early 20s at their oldest. That's why they all die so young. Like, you know, Biggie and Tupac are, like, 24, 25 when they get killed, and they're, like, established names before they've hit 25, 26. Um, and Eminem's, like... He's, like, an elder statesman already at his peak. It's so strange. Um, and I think, you know, if he understands very well that you're only as good as what's coming next and, like, this is the peak before the collapse, like, this feels like you were saying, Lizzie, it feels like the edge of, you know, it feels like this is Eminem's limit being reached now and that he does desperately need some time off or else, as we'll see with Encore, um, you know, we're not far away from him being basically up to his eyes in Vicodin and Valium. And we're going to live through the effects of that on this show. Um, yeah. I still think he's got one more vault-worthy number one, which I think is like Toy Soldiers. Um, and we'll talk about that more at the time. Um, mm-hmm. But this, Lose Yourself, is wonderful. There are so many just... It's one of those things where, I mean, as I've hopefully displayed, that this is really thought-provoking and... A whole like a whole guy's story just kind of encapsulated in five minutes, um, and I I listened to this and I I think, no wonder what happened over the next five to six years in Eminem's life happened, because this guy feels like he's been pushed to the absolute limit and, he's I think Eight Mile was his way of kind of like, okay I need to get everything down on paper and show everybody before. Well, the song is is till I collapse. It's you know, he'll keep doing it until he does. But you know, maybe that's not that far away, and it sort of isn't either. I understand this is really heavily influenced by hindsight. And if we were saying this in two thousand and two, if we were talking about it, we'd be probably saying something like, "Oh, yeah, Eminem's at like the top of his game. Like he's gonna keep going forever. Like, wow, this song's amazing. You know, that sort of thing." It maybe only hindsight adds that kind of tinge of not sadness obviously because Eminem's doing very well still he had a number one single as recently as two years ago like you know the guy's still Mm -hmm. doing really well but I think when Eminem comes back as much as I think a lot of his albums and singles have been not my cup of tea at all he only really learned to pace himself in the late 2000s and this is a guy who doesn't quite know how to pace himself yet and is about to expire for a while and go on a bit of a hiatus and go hibernate <laughs> which take uh, uh, much needed um hibernation um i don't think this is entirely perfect um like you andy i'm kind of looking at the guitars a little bit and just the main kind of like you say the undercurrent I think the little thing that I would take away from this song is that I wish the undercurrent would change slightly so that when it went back to the original undercurrent that it would just feel that power that little bit more. But that's all, that's the only, you know, that's the only red pen note 
I really have about this. I think this is really wonderful. It's not my favourite Eminem song, but it's bloody close. Really bloody close. I wanted to um, pull you up on something a little bit there, Rob, because you mentioned like how kind of in you know in the year or so after this, it's like the rise of like Kanye and alternative hip hop. But I think it's sort of I think there's maybe more to it than that. Like there's a couple of different strands that go on. Because when I think 2003 hip hop, I think 50 Cent. Yeah. So that that you know that bling rap and ring zone rap that comes in. It's only a couple of years down the line that it kind of comes to a head and one very clearly prevails. But Mm. yeah, I don't think this sort of thing is on its last legs just yet. But it is the the end of the imperial phase of Eminem. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's... I I was... um, I suppose I was only... Like I say, because Eminem right now, as I was saying, um, is... He's, he's living in a hip-hop world where a lot of the youngsters coming through that are really commercially successful are your 50 Cent's, Master P's, G-Unit. Um, I mean, Master yeah, yeah. P is not really an example of someone I would hold up as a you know great example of someone who's particularly... Uh, well, he's talented, I'll, I'll give him that. But um, it, Yeah, but you've got like the game and yeah. you know, that sort of thing as well. Um, that's still, you know, I think um, even really recently, which I've completely forgotten about, that Ice Cube obviously has like a number two single around this time in the UK with, um, I think it might be a couple of years earlier with, um, you could do it, put your back into it, I could do it, put your oh, back yeah. into it. Um, but yeah, like you say, from about 2004 onwards, there is the greater commercial emergence of what was kind of, der- kind of a derisory term for it but backpack rap if you will and the pop rap and stuff like that that kind of emerges um as a big commercial force i'm not saying that like it hasn't been successful before but it's like you say in 2007 it comes to a head with graduation and curtis yes and eminem is on curtis and graduation wins that little fight and it's not that gangster rap is completely killed off because gangster rap still goes but as a dominant commercial force i think the mid 2000s are a huge shift and we're just on the edge of it and eminem still he's he's at the moment i think he's aware that he's about 10 years older than a lot of the kids who were coming up from behind and yeah so he's getting everything out before he expires um before the likes of you know like I'm, I'm i might have to go through and see about rappers who are continually commercially successful into their 30s around this point because there are more and more of them these days um because they've mellowed out a little bit and still managed to find a way to be commercially successful i.e like kanye and drake and a few others who our pop rap crossover artist but yeah um anyway i feel like i've gone on about this too much so um i, I don't know if any anyone has anything more to say no except this is great but spices your spice up your life is better <laughs> <laughs> i might disagree but i understand where you're coming from at least with uh, with that one it, it spice <laughs> up your life is a song i also enjoy a lot so <laughs> okay um Next up on our show is this. 
always seems to be the hardest one. Okay, this is Sorry Seems to Be the Hardest Word by Blue featuring Elton John. Released as the second single from the group's second studio album entitled One Love, Sorry Seems to Be the Hardest Word is Blue's sixth single overall to be released in the UK and their third to reach number one after Too Close and If You Come Back both reached the summit in 2001, but it is their last, uh, at least to date. The song is a cover of Elton John's original version, which reached number 11 in the UK in 1976. It's not the last time we'll be discussing Elton John on this podcast, however. Sorry seems to be the hardest word went straight in at number one as a brand new entry, knocking Eminem off the, off the top of the charts. It stayed at number one for one week. In its first and only week atop the charts, it sold 87,000 copies, beating competition from What My Heart Wants To Say by Gareth Gates, which got to number 5, and Puppy Love by S Club Juniors, which got to <laughs> number 6, Always The Bridesmaid. When it was not off the top of the charts, Sorry Seems To Be The Hardest Word fell three places to number 4. By the time it was done on the charts, it had been inside the top 100 for 20 weeks. The song was certified gold in the UK in July 2020, so it sort of endured with a certain crowd of people. Uh, Lizzie, um, Elton John and Blue, how are we feeling about them? Should have done a cover of Puppy Love. <laughs> <laughs> that that cover was so bad. It was just oh. I know. I'm gutted no. we don't have a chance to talk about it because I would just absolutely destroy it. It's so bad. Yeah. Why did they do that <laughs> in 2002? I know, covering the Osmonds. It's just Jesus. Oh, inexplicable. Anyway, um, so I have a confession. I've never been a fan of Elton John's music. I've never been oh. able to Heresy! Look past that Heresy! Like... No, I know, joking. I know, I'm sorry. <laughs> I've just, I've never been able to look past the like faux American thing he does, which he took to its logical extreme during the first week of lockdown in 2020, when he performed I'm Dildandin in the middle of a basketball court. <laughs> and like, I get that that's just his style, but it always struck me as a bit too close to pastiche to take it on face value. So like, 
I rarely revisit his music. And I say that as someone who really likes a lot of those big early 70s singer-songwriters. You know, I really like Joni Mitchell, Carole King, Paul Simon, James Taylor, Harry Nielsen, even Gilbert O'Sullivan, more than Elton John. But what I will say about him is that he's always been quite generous in terms of giving new stars like a leg up. Even to this day, he's still doing it. Um, Maybe too generous in this case, because I don't think that Blue really deserved this, nor did they deserve to be working with Stevie Wonder next year. But anyway, it's not not really Elton's fault. I just think this is kind of, it's okay, like Blue themselves do a tasteful job of covering it. And it's only in the last minute or so that it gets a bit ridiculous as Lee Ryan screams like a child who's just walked into the bathroom and found a big spider <laughs> patiently waiting for him. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know, with with everything Blue, there's just this aggressive okayness about it and Elton tries his best to give it a bit of heft with that kind of deep south growl that he's got at this point he's not got that boyish you know choir boy vocal anymore um but it's it's not really enough to quite lift this over the top and I think it's easy to see why as much as they seemed much bigger at the time, it's easy to see why this is their last number one, because it just feels like the end of this period of like British acts set up as a response to American acts, but never being quite as good. And us just having to, you know, accept it because that's the way it is. Um, yeah, I'm... I, I don't really have all that much to say about it, I'm afraid. I think I like Elton's next number one a lot more than this. I will say that. But hmm. yeah, this one, uh, it's, it's okay, but I'm not rushing to go back and listen to it again. Uh, Andy, how about you? Yeah, I, I agree with a lot of your points there, Lizzie. I, I come from a, from a different viewpoint, though, because I, I really do like Elton. I think yeah. he's great. Yeah. Um, I... I, I do agree with what you said though about how he's um, perhaps a little overly generous with his duets and giving people a leg up. I think the thing to understand about Elton is that he's someone who just likes doing duets. Like he's done so many of them. Some of them, you oh, know, yeah. some of them for big single releases like "Don't Go Breaking My Heart" or "The Cold Heart" recently with Dua Lipa. But Elton, just any excuse, any excuse to duet with someone, he'll do it. So it's not really a tough sell. Sort of similar for Stevie Wonder, but he's not as known for it as Elton is. Um, Mm. But the thing that I really like about Elton is that, unusually given that he doesn't write a lot of his lyrics, although he did write the lyrics for this one, I always feel like you get a sense of personality, a sense of real a person's spirit coming through. Like, it's one of those albums... Not albums, sorry. One of those artists you can sit and listen to and just feel like you're really getting to know a person and usually expressed in a very interesting way musically. This is me coming from it as, you know, as a pianist, that his songs are just so interesting in terms of um, the way that they go, usually. But I do understand why he's not for everyone and that he does border on pastiche and he does kind of phone it in a lot of the time, especially during his later years. But I think Elton, when he's at his height, is just such a rich and interesting uh, performer and and artist. Um, As for this song, though, 
Yeah, so I've prefaced this song with all of that because then we get this, which is... Um, so sorry seems to be the hardest word. It's not one of my favourites of his to begin with, really. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's all right. I do like it. I've got nothing against it. But I think it's just a little bit kind of meh, a little bit forgettable, really. But one thing that I do really like about that song is that it's very stripped back, that um, there's no percussion in that song, that all there really is is piano strings and then a weird sort of parisian accordion bit in the middle which i don't like but it's um it's very very stripped back that song because you're getting to a sort of personal emotion where someone is just bereft where they're just like oh everything's just a mess isn't it i feel like the original is inspired by yesterday um in that it's just a person and their emotions and it's as stripped back as it can possibly be um there's no, there's no band involved at all. I think that that's completely lost in this version of it because they put that very early noughties, very boy band, over the top of it, which just completely <laughs> ruins that effect. Completely ruins it mm. and turns it into... It's not really even a ballad anymore. Like It's sort of a kind of mid-tempo kind of bar music song now. It's I've never really seeing a cover like that so far that the production choices they've made to it have made it no longer a ballad and made it into a sort of I don't even know what you would call it instead but it it's lost its character completely um the other thing I really don't like well I'll say the other thing there's a few things but the other thing I really don't like about this is that I don't know why they feature Elton because they leave it so late they really don't yeah. use him at all. It's I was keeping an eye on it, and it's it's about three and a half minutes, this song, and I think it's like the 155 point, something like that, at which Elton first starts singing. And also, it's not like a big reveal, a big, like, Elton John, everybody. It's like mid-verse. He takes the second half of the verse. He just sort of appears unannounced halfway through the song, and it's it's just a really poor use of him. They do exactly the same thing with Stevie Wonder with Signed, Sealed, Delivered as well. Um, that, by the way, this whole thing of you know Blue, who were a current boy band trying to establish themselves as an artist who was going to stick around, who was one of the big boys, the fact that they get these big duets to make that happen is something that leaves a really sour taste. Um, it really is nakedly corporate and you know, just shows that this is all business, really. The Although Elton loves doing duets and so does Stevie Wonder, there's no doubt that both of them have just had a pile of money driven to their house and told, look, can you just do one <laughs> verse in these songs and appear I'm in the music made video? Of stone. <laughs> yeah, but it is that, literally, they've, they've said, look, we'll give you like a million quid, all you have to do is sing one verse of a song that is already yours, appear in the music video, we'll pay for everything. Will you do it? Of course they're going to say yes. Why wouldn't they say yes? Especially because Elton could have got a Christmas number one out of this as well, potentially. Um, So I see Mm. why they do it, but it's just... Leaves a very, very, very sour taste. Then there's, of course, there's Lee Ryan's... um, As you've said, Lizzie, Lee Lee Ryan's pained moans of despair that (laughs) I think he really thinks are, like, impressive vocal runs that are sort of like Whitney Houston or Mariah Carey, and they're really not... If Destiny's Child sometimes give you just dropped my cup of tea singing, then here Lee Ryan is giving me Child has just dropped his ice cream singing. It's just, <laughs> you know, just pure pain. Um, it sounds physically painful. And this is like the worst example of that patented Lee Ryan moan. It's horrible. 
Um, yeah, there's not much to like about this. I, like the original song is okay, it's decent, so it gets some points for that. But I think the production completely swallows up the song and misinterprets it. Um, and I don't know why this song exists, to be honest. So yeah, don't like it. Yeah. Interesting thing to note that I discovered. Um, both songs this week start with a vinyl crackle. <laughs> so make of that what you will. Interesting ah. to note, given where we are, you know, these days, and where we sort of end up ten years from 2002, uh, with a bit of vinyl revival going on. Uh, anyway, yeah, sorry seems to be the hardest word. Uh, this is fine. Like, I appreciate the more modern reinterpretation of the original, adding that kind of boy band hip-hop backbeat that I love so much smoothing it out a little um they haven't messed around too much with the feeling of the original while still you know updating it so it's achieved the bare minimum there Uh, but having said that uh, i think the new arrangement does it restrains the vocals a little bit like if you listen back to the original it gives elton loads of space to do subtle vocal acrobatics and little variations here and there but there's no real room for that in this version It's very direct and to the point, and I think the more wistful elements of the original are lost here. Um, I also think there's not much of a dynamic shift between verse and chorus with this new version, which means it rests on whether you get lost in it or feel like hypnotized by it, and I don't really think that's possible with how tight the arrangement is and how like sort of straight-jacketed it all is. Um, Simon Webb is a much stronger vocalist than Lee and Anthony. Yeah. Um, I agree with oh, you yeah. guys. Um, there's something I noticed, though, especially with the music video as well, that Duncan doesn't get his own verse for some reason. Like, he does know, get a bit. Opens up. I'm, sure, I'm, sure, I'm sure that's it. Isn't that not him at the beginning? I think he gets a beer. Yeah, I thought well, he did as well. Well, Simon, Simon comes in with the first verse, and then they give it to Lee, and then they do the chorus, and then... Anthony comes in with the start of the second verse, and then Elton comes in, and then no, Elton Duncan's finishes the, the first song. Verse. Yeah, Duncan's the first verse, I'm sure of it. Yeah, no, yeah Simon Webb in the music video. But it's Duncan singing. I'm, I'm sure of it, yeah. Simon in, in the music video, verse. it is Simon Webb singing. Oh, that's interesting. Oh, I'm going to have to look that up. Yeah. I'm go- I'm, I'm go- I'm, I've, I think I might. I've I'm, got to watch this again. Well, I'm going by I, genius here. I'm just going by um, recognising the voices. I'm, I'm sure of it, that it's, that it's Duncan James in the first verse. Uh, let me see. But he only does so the I'm, first just, verse. Um, He's just done clicking it, on the that. YouTube video now. Um, well, but, but you're not advert. just getting their names confused, are you? No, no, it's definitely Simon. Mm. Um, I mean, I feel like the Simpsons thing where it's um, Duncan, White, Simon, Black <laughs> on my hand. <laughs> um, I'm currently having to sit through an advert for Microsoft Game Changers. Right, okay, here we go. Uh, video opens up. Um, there's a light on top of the piano they're all looking quite forlorn they're all in black Simon goes sorry seems to be the hardest word and then there's more lights there's some dancers it is Duncan what the hell was I watching (laughs) (laughs) so Duncan is singing at me right now and now he's leaning over the piano we can just just cut all that just start again Oh, I like that. That was good ah, fun. And then Simon comes in. Right. And then Lee gets the yes. Right. No, no, I'm, I'm going to leave all this in. Yeah, so, leave all in. Yeah. I'm not, well, not so, me saying let's cut it. Don't leave that in. But, yeah. <laughs> well, one thing I will say, one thing I have learned, is that Duncan has a much nicer voice than I'd ever remembered. 
And so I'm glad he gets to open the song up and wasn't ignored completely like I originally thought. I'm not sure what I was watching. Maybe I just moved away from it and then came back when Simon did and didn't notice that the voice had changed because their voices are so similar. This is just a classic case of Duncan erasure. Yeah. It's just the, <laughs> the Lee Ryan effect. <laughs> I think it maybe also does... I'm not going to use my, um, you know, broken eyes to, like criticise the song, but maybe this does hint towards something I said, which is that the fact that I thought Lee was singing a verse when he's actually singing the chorus, maybe that speaks to how much of a lack of dynamic shift I noticed. Uh, I'm not sure, but anyway, so it was Duncan. I'm glad that we cleared that up. Um, I'm I'm sure that was amazing radio slash podcasting for everybody (laughs) listening at home. Um, do we have anything more to say about sorry seems to be the hardest word I should just say that I think it's fine it doesn't offend my ears but it doesn't exactly smooth them over with any nice balm or anything it's just yeah. oh you're there nice hello and I doubt it will appear in the vault or I doubt it will appear in the bottom five or top ten that we do at the end of the year mm, well just, we um, see hang around i've just got one question actually because this is i'm aware this is the last time that we cover blue unless they pop up again and i've forgotten something but i think the blue songs we've covered have all been not their best so what would what would you say if you can make one blue song a number one retroactively what would it be all rise it's got to be all rise all rise yeah um what although about fly I, I do by, like though? if you come back Flyby to me is just the same as Too Close. I feel like they're sort of the same song. Yeah, fair enough. I would go, yeah, with All Rise instead of... If I could trade this for All Rise, then I would do it in a heartbeat. Hmm. Basically, yeah. The only other time we will mention them again is at the, at the start of the show, in our pop culture segments, one week in 2011, we will mention them because they represent us at Eurovision singing I Can. And I still remember that song really well. That was okay. And they did quite well for us. They came like top 10. It might have been top five, but they did well. I will always remember that the first result that came in the night that they did Eurovision, by coincidence, was 12 points to the United Kingdom. So for a brief moment, everybody thought Blue were going to win Eurovision for us. Obviously, that didn't happen, <laughs> but that's their moment of glory. So, yeah, thanks for everything, Blue, and thanks for representing us. Yeah, yeah, they were also Aww. nice enough to represent us at a fan festival in Qatar for the 2022 World Cup. Oh! <laughs> thanks, guys. Yeah, thanks for that. You just cancelled that out completely. Tell you what, that's keeping the gay audience confused, isn't it? You do Eurovision and then you do the Qatar World Cup. Keeping everyone guessing there. Wow. Yeah, big side. <laughs> they're, always, they're always playing both sides so that they come out on top, as Mac would say. Um, <laughs> the other thing to sort of mention is that I don't think they're on Band-Aid 20. I don't think so, no. no. Which is only two years from now. It's a long time, and, though. In, in, in you know pop music terms, mm, in terms of if you've yeah. been away. A long time. Because I can't think of, other than Sign Seal Delivered, I can't think of any other singles even. That they release after this, so I think you, you know they make me wanna. I don't That's the that. only one that I can think of. I think by the uh, time Band Aid Twenty rolls around, they are they are gone. Like they're already gone. They're not on the mm. way down. They're they're already finished. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Simon Webb has a solo run, doesn't he? But is it after Band Aid Twenty? He doesn't get any number ones, but he has um no worries, no worries, or whatever that song. That's is. after. That's about two thousand and five-ish. Yeah. That yeah. 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 Hmm. 
Anyway, Blue, goodbye. Um, I was gonna make try and make some pun about if they come back or if you come back, but I can't be bothered. <laughs> they were blue, Davidi Davidi. <laughs> goodbye. Yes. Um, so before we go, um, we're just gonna check whether any songs this week are gonna go up into the vault or down into the pie hole. Um, Lose yourself by Eminem. That's that's going in the vault for me and me. I might as well. I wasn't going to, but I might as well because I like to conform. So, yeah. Cool. <laughs> All right, then. Yeah, so it's another triple vaulter. Uh, good to good to know. Um, and sorry seems to be the hardest word. I, I'm not going to put it Me anywhere. It's not bad enough to go in the pie hole. I think this is one of those songs that's, um, you know, aggressively generic. Aggressively okay. Aggressively okay so, is yeah. definitely the phrase. yeah aggressively okay yeah that sounds like an appropriate note to end on we will be back next time and we'll be covering the race for christmas number one in 2002 will blue hold on to the top spot will eminem come back or something like that will something sweep in and take the number one spot from everybody else um well you all already know and you can google it but stay with us anyway um we will see you uh, next time thank you very much for listening this time so bye-bye see ya i'm rooting for the cheeky girls bye-bye <laughs> <laughs>